and hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Woo Woo. In this episode, I want to talk a bit about a magical item. Now, a couple of days ago, uh, the great and wonderful Julian Vane asked me what I appear on his YouTube channel as part of a series that he's doing on uh, magical items and people who are somewhat connected with magic or have a magical kind of outlook in some way, um, just to talk about one of their favourite magical items. And what I chose to talk about is my Hyper Sigil comic, Dem. And I assume it'll be out by now, by the time this video comes out, um, the link will be in the show description below, or it'll be all over to my social medias. Anyway, I kind of was nearly the very last minute um, I was going to go with a different magical item, and I didn't. Uh, um, I swept, switched to Dem, and I think it was the right one to do, because it certainly probably is my most magical item uh, in a kind of more idea or a more theoretical, or more kind of, um, some sort of word, <laughs> rather than a tangible, actual thing. And the original thing I was going to talk about, and as my magical item, is this, which you really aren't going to probably see. <laughs> probably look at that, it's terribly out of focus. Not, this is great content. But uh, it's the protector coin uh, of the 47s that came, I'll, I'll put a link, or no, I'll, uh, I'll do a photo uh, in the... Um, thumbnail so you'll actually see it properly um so that, this was for the brazilian equivalent of kickstarter which is called cat arse which i just can't get past i'm sure it's not pronounced that way at all it's catarsi or something like that but it's cat arse dot uh, br um it's their kickstarter equivalent and that was one of the um rewards for pre-ordering or kickstarting the brazilian version of the grimoire and the deck so it's a more tangible actual real thing but why i didn't do why i went with them is because it's the most magical talisman that I have, even though it exists, I suppose, more in the ether or the astral plane or in the realm of ideas than actual an item, even though I do have it obviously on print and PDF and, you know, in digital formats, which still, you know, it, it should be counted, I suppose, as a thing, but turn off electricity and we don't have any of these digital things. Anyway. Enough of that. So why, what I really like about this, this is one of my favourite things in the world ever. It's like I really enjoy it as, a, as an item and I carry it around with me all the time. I did get a couple of them and I give them to friends um, and they all seem uh, to enjoy them as well. Just as a kind of protection thing to have around with you. And it's good, solid, like it's well made. And what I thought was really cool about it, why I was really kind of blown away by it, is that when I was doing the 40 Servants and I was coming up with it, it was kind of very much for me. It was kind of a very selfish magical work it was something that I had looked at all of these kind of magical things all the different things people were saying all the different traditions and while um, it was all wonderful and all that it kind of felt a bit external to me or other people's ideas or was it intruding or possibly you know culturally appropriate and inappropriately or whatever it's the you know the thing and it was like how did I make all of these things all of these great ideas mine was trying to be as I don't know, respectful, I suppose, in one way to all of the places where all these things come from. But being also a chaos magic and having a bit of punk rock to me too, going that, you know, um, steal if I need to, you know, that, that it, there's no, you know, what's the, the old ex, ex, uh, expression about artists, good artists are influenced a great artists steal or something equivalent to that, that, you know, that it, that's, that's what you have to kind of be okay with doing. So I was taking all these kind of disparate ideas that of, of different approaches to magic, different kind of uh, traditions, and putting them in a, in a format and an aesthetic purely for me that I would work for me. 
that's what the 47th was. There's a whole other kind of thing to it as well that I spoke for, but it was kind of a last ditch effort or the last throes of a dying man who was afraid that he would have to go out into the normal world and become a normie, uh, which of course didn't happen. Um, and so then when I went out into the world and it was became something very different than what I imagined in that I could never in my wildest dreams imagine that it would do whatever it did or and it's still currently doing. And I found its way to Brazil. And an awful lot of that I think is to do with Lua Valentia, who I interviewed on the... Uh, <laughs> good timing there on uh, my swinging background. That's quite cool. Um, who uh, is on the Magic People podcast, you should check it out. And she translated the grimoire in Brazil as well. But she started talking about it in Brazilian on her YouTube channel. And it was very weird because, of course, I couldn't understand it, but I could recognise names here and there. And I knew she was enthused by it and was into it. And we started talking to each other. But eventually, um, through her, pretty much, um, it got, you know, there was a publisher interest for a number of libros. Am I pronouncing that right? I always seem to get that wrong. Um, and you know it all went as big as it was in Brazil and all this kind of kind of stuff and so then when it came back after kind of doing the 40 servants putting it out into the world and then it returns to me as something like this that I've never I never would have created that I would never have done something like that wouldn't have entered my head to do something like that and something of that value and of that expertise and you know it's it's so good like I mean it's proper coin weight good you know good craftsmanship the whole thing that it seemed very much a case of sending an idea out into the world and then it returning as a solid form, as an actual coin back into me that I could put literally into my wallet and that would protect me. And I thought it was it's really cool and I'm really happy. That's one of my favourite things. But uh, I just, because I couldn't decide, uh, all right, well, I mean, I did ultimately decide because I had to throw up between those two things. Um, I thought I'd talk about it in the video. But another reason why I didn't really want to talk about it in uh, Julian's videos, I just didn't want to come on and kind of make it, want to make it sound like a sales pitch, you know, where I go, oh, well, you know, I have a 47th deck in a Brazilian publishing and blah, 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 blah. But instead, you know, I just sold him a book and said, it's all a very weird way the ego works, isn't it? And confidence and, you know, trying to, I suppose, present yourself in a, in a pleasing manner, you know, or in the way people talk about glamour and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so it just felt a bit not right for the Julian thing, but perfectly at home here. So yeah, protect coin. I don't know how many people in the world have it, but there's very few this side of the world have it anyway, and I'm delighted to have one. In fact, I have two. But uh, there you go. Good people of the internet. What's your magical item? What's the thing that you uh, treasure as a magical item? I have a wand I got in Glastonbury years ago that I'll talk about um, in another video that is uh, equally could have been uh, a candidate for this. In fact, I'll do a video about it soon to talk about it. There's an, an interesting story around that. What about you? Have you an equivalent coin or wand or book or tarot deck or you know some magic work that you presented to the world that in some way came back in a very cool, tangible way to you as, as something else, as an echo back? Because I'd love to hear it. I think it's very interesting. And you should check out Julian's videos because they're very interesting as of the recording of this he's done Dave Lee and Jake Stratton Kent and so and they're good and it's interesting and it's you know another one of these kind of things that probably wouldn't happen other than more going through the you know the apocalypse right now so we have to be thankful and grateful and support these things support the things that you want to exist after and um, the world I was going to say returns to normal but let's hope it doesn't return to normal let's hope it returns to a new positive new normal so good people of the internet until our next adventure be well, have a great day, enjoy whatever it is you're doing, and may our best days be ahead.
and hello good people of the internet it is like Tommy Kelly and this is Adventures Movie and in this episode I'm going to talk about stuff until I know what I'm going to talk about because I'm not really sure what I'm going to talk about but what I am going to start talking about is showing you this this is the cover to uh, the Invisibles or at least one of the most iconic parts of the Invisibles which is the Smile Chaos Hand Grenade that uh, Alan Chapman cheekily stole, not really stole, alluded to on the cover of Advanced Magic for Beginners as well. But uh, there is a, I found a high, high definition, high quality, high, what is that word, high resolution version of the image on the internet last night. And I printed it out and it looks perfect. I will leave the um, description or the, the file in the description where I found it. And you too can download it. I assume it's legit enough. It was just on the internet. It wasn't uh, on a torrent site or anything like that. Um, yeah, now it's proudly above my computer desk. Um, very happy. I mean, it's part of that whole thing of surrounding yourself with the stuff that uh, is empowering to you. And of course, let's make sure I'm in focus. And of course, the Invisible is very empowering to uh, me. And I assume an awful lot of people uh, in the whole be invisible type thing. There's a weird thing about my eyes the last couple of days, which is kind of a bit, it's annoying. It's, uh, what's happening is that I'm more aware of, of my eyes than I usually am. That's how you kind of know when you have a problem. You know, when you, you uh, become aware of a muscle because you've, that you've never knew you had before because you, uh, you know, you slept wrong or something if you're in your 40s like me or more. Um, and uh, it's, I don't know what it, what it is exactly. I'm assuming it's some sort of eye strain because it came around the time that I started getting a lot brighter in Ireland. And the sun had started coming through the window to the left of me in the office. And it was kind of, uh, it it's hard to explain. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's not that I can't focus on things or I can't focus on things long. It's just as if there's, my eyes are sensitive to light or something, which makes everything a bit harder to kind of look at. It's almost like I'm hungover without the kind of pain and uh, self-hatred and depression and uh, want to... <laughs> to die all of those things but uh, it's also bad today I think I was kind of exacerbating the situation by using eye drops and while they, they felt very soothing immediately on it they seem to have uh, uh, maybe possibly do have chemicals in it that I shouldn't be using because there, I was looking up on the internet and there is a thing that you should use things for dry eyes but if you use a thing that brighten your eyes it'll make it worse um, and that they're in some of these eye drops and the whites of my eyes have become a bit more whiter so I assume that I'd uh, the drops I have are doing something. My eyes aren't dilating probably, they're constantly um, we small, which is very odd. Anyway, it's a lot better since I uh, had my meditation earlier on, which I have actually fell asleep during, which uh, is very telling. Just coming back from what I was saying yesterday, but trying to not have the burn out and just relax, bit, relax down a bit on different things. It's obviously it's taken a bit of a wear on me. So this recorded Friday, I don't think it goes out till Monday, so we're heading into the weekend, so I'll probably try to do a bit more nothing over the weekend. But of course, that's not always possible because what happens, what seems to happen to me at the weekend is um, while all the week I'm able to do whatever I want with my own kind of uh, work and all that. At the weekend, you have to do all the jobs that you don't really want to do, that you have to, you know, you have to cut the grass, you have to, I don't know. I don't even want to think about all the different things. We, we cleaned the gutters out last week. So, you know, all that little kind of crap that you have to do that some people really love doing. Like there was a, a guy I used to work with years ago and he used to love getting home at the weekend so that he could cut the grass and clean things and all this madness, madness. As I said in a couple of videos before, I have noticed going into the weekend that social media goes a bit more into anxiety, fear mode. 
and uh, I kind of mentioned it on Twitter last week and uh, someone was saying that it could be possibly that people are used to you know meeting family or you know getting together and that, uh, when it gets to the weekend that they're more aware of it like they don't get to do their Sunday dinner with the family or they don't get to meet up with friends on their Saturday and I was kind of going well that makes kind of sense you know that then it becomes more same way that I've become more aware of eyesight because there's a problem. You become more aware of the problem when you see something that's different. So while during the week things can be fairly normal or feel fairly normal because they're quite similar to your routine, you would have been. It's when then the routine is upset at the weekend that you become, oh no, there is this massive pandemic change, new normal, all of this type of thing. But I think it also could be that people aren't getting to go out at the weekend and get drunk and that part of the routine and that release and... Uh, that isn't the same, I don't think, for people, you know, when to go out and the, the, for the socialising aspect, or to go out to go dancing as well, so you have a physical as, aspect to it, that you don't get sitting at home, drinking, watching Netflix, as fun as that can be. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's an odd one. I, I, I'm going to tend to try and stay as much as possible away from social media over the weekend just because of this thing. And what I've noticed, though, it kind of ramps up a bit, and it's not necessarily the fear of... Um, how do I word this? It's mostly from the kind of conspiratorial truthers. Um, I don't know what's the correct word for it because it's it's not it's like people I know. It's not just people on the internet like like that you would normally label as truthers. They seem to be the people that has the most of an issue, and they're the ones that are, are creating most of the fear. Going like, oh, I feel I'm being played. Um, you know, this is all bullshit. No one's dying. And, uh, you know, this was all a secret plot to somehow destroy us. And there's this kind of assertion and it's done in a very, very angry, fear inducing, uh, aggressive manner, which I just need to avoid like the plague. <laughs> Pardon my expression. I need to avoid uh, completely because it's like that is the stuff that in essence that we were looking to a conspiracy to try and recognize and avoid. And now it's become very obvious that both sides are playing that kind of mandate, that kind of, this is how to do it. They both are trying to um, get you to believe what they believe, or at least listen to them, by shouting, screaming, telling you you're wrong, inducing fear, and this kind of uh, aggression. And some of it, I think, is, uh, it's obviously coming from fear. And I mean, I totally understand that. It's a very, you know, fearful time, and no one knows what the future is. But I've pointed out before, no one ever knew what the future is. So it's, we have to keep that in the, in the kind of you know, perspective that, that is uh, correct in that um, it's probably we're more aware that our future is unpredictable, whereas we kind of in the past kind of tended to think that, oh, it's kind of fairly predictable when it, when it really wasn't as, as, as it's been proven. But I think it, it, the kind of conspiratorial, the fear thing, um, some element of it is definitely people wanting to be the person who could, when this is all over, and say it turns out we all uh, overreacted to the whole thing, that can say, oh look, I told you at the time, I, I, you see, I was clued in, I knew the thing that you didn't. But like, that's literally all they're doing is talking about it on Facebook. That's it, there's no kind of a um, battle plan, there's like, oh, we're being played, and go, yeah, so what are you doing about it? What, what is the thing? And I know then you have this kind of, uh, you had this, some of the demonstrations and you know, protests and trying to get public gatherings and stuff together. I don't know, and I'm going to understand the concern around it. But I also did mention at the very beginning when I was talking to this about Spud on the podcast was that when it comes to the point that if this um, works, if this kind of uh, lockdown works, it's going to look like it wasn't needed. 
And absolutely, if it works, if the plan works of keeping everyone indoors, then no one dies. You know, well, not no one dies, but like so few people die. That's the plan. And so it looks like it was unneeded. And so it's kind of, in a sense, you would have to have let it be a terrible thing that could, to unfold in order for a lot of people to believe that it was a real thing. And of course, you can't do that. You can't take that risk. You can't do that. You can't allow millions of people possibly to die be just so you can prove that there is an actual pandemic. And it's kind of that thing of, you know, when you're on an antibiotic and uh, you're meant to be on it for two weeks and after day nine, you feel perfect. So you stop taking your antibiotic and then day 14, it comes back and your doctor comes at you because you didn't finish your course of antibiotics. That's where we are. That's exactly where we are in that this is working. It's absolutely working. Um, so, well, in Ireland, it's absolutely working. We've got the curve way down. And then we have to think, right, now we're going to move into the future and go, how do we get out of this? We've, we've got to the point where we've had somewhat under control. How do we pull out of this situation without exacerbating it, without making it worse or without kicking it off again? And with as much possibility that there's jobs to go back to and people like go back to as some form of normality as before. But as I've also said, I don't want it to go back to normal. I want it to go back better than it was that all the things that we've learned from this period and from this time and about how we treat other people and how we treat certain services and all that, that uh, we don't just forget about it. And you can see already in certain kind of the mandates coming out for, from the Irish government and different way people are talking and stuff. Already you can see the old habits and the fuck you mentality and the separation and the, you know, the lack of we're all in this together. There's already, uh, even on very local social media kind of things, which I kind of had to stop looking at as well, uh, infighting between people who were friends and over kind of, you know, policy procedures and stuff that none of them have actually any say in because they're not elected officials. But of course, we're allowed all our opinions. And I think while that is an element of lockdown and, you know, cabin fever and people, you know, kind of wanting to have a bit of say and a bit of control in their life, it is a kind of a, it gives me a sense that maybe we're not going to learn our lessons from this. That's horrifying. And I do, because like, I mean, as I said in that other video, not that long ago, what if it all goes back to normal or not goes back to normal, goes to back to normal, but worse. And I know this is the fear that the conspiracy people have is that it is we're going to go back to something much worse than we have. Now, I'm still quite positive that we're not, but it involves not being just saying, uh, oh, I told you on Facebook, we're getting played, or whatever it is on Facebook, so that you can, or Twitter, wherever it is, so that you can you know, be seen to be that kind of uh, insurgent that is not, you know, has not been fooled by the government. And perhaps we are all being fooled. I'm not discounting any of it. But what it, we have to do more than that. We can't just complain about it on Facebook, no matter what side you have to take. You have to appreciate people around you. You have to go into the world as a better person, having learned the lessons that you have learned from all of this. You have to enc uh, encourage and foster and support the stuff that you want to continue to be there forever. And uh, try not to argue over people, over stuff. It's really out of a control. And to, um, you know, it's just, don't let it all unravel. Don't let this amazing world initiation be for nothing when it's literally, if it is big government conspiracy or the governments of puppets to something higher than that, nothing we can do about it other than look after each other, look out for each other, buy local, buy off the, you know, your friends, support your friends, support the artists, support, you know, local business, support your country's business, all of that, keep the, the thing going where we're all in this together rather than kind of falling apart over a possible, um, 
you know, enemy that we all have, like a common enemy. So that's my hope. That's where this video went. I wasn't didn't know if that's where it was, but there you go. Um, Big Brother may be watching you, so time is to become invisible. And if you are worried about 5G, possibly don't worry, you know, scream about it on Facebook. Switch off your phone. Um, I don't know if that's the answer, but possibly switching off your phone does nothing to 5G because it's still in the area and all that. I don't know. I'm not going to panic. I'm going to stay positive and I'm going to try my best to be grateful, appreciative, happy and um, friendly and kind and supportive to everyone I interact with. And that's the best I can do because I can't topple governments and I can't topple <laughs> the cabal of 12, 12 men who secretly rule the world or whatever it is. But I can be a good person in my life as best as possible. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to have my moments. And that's all I can do. And that's what I'm going to focus on. So good people on the, of the internet. Tend to the part of the garden that you can reach. Which is like pretty sure it's Ramdas. But I got it from Duncan Trussell who said it to Joe Rogan. <laughs> so tend to the part of the garden that you can reach. Do the thing that is close to you. That you can actually do. Rather than worrying about the weeds at the other end of the garden. That you have no control over because you can't get to them. Tend to the part of the garden that you can reach. And may our best days be ahead. And hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures Movie. And in this episode, I want to talk a bit about being invisible. So I've been posting some stuff on social media, mostly on Facebook, about um, it's that scene or that panel from uh, The Invisibles, which says, Big Brother is watching you, so become invisible. And various other things, just because I'm in a, I've been rereading The Invisibles and it's in my mind and I really like it. Anyway, people have been asking me, but how exactly do you become invisible? And uh, first of all, I'd say, well, think of it this way. Uh, what's another word for invisible? Um, hidden. What's another word for hidden? It's a cult. So, uh, you know, familiar, familiarize yourself with uh, cult works. But uh, that may be not too helpful of an answer. Um, other than reading the invisibles, another thing you can do is uh, listen to Stuart Wilde, who has an entire chapter on invisibility in his book, The Quickening. Which is not quite, I suppose, what uh, Grant Morrison is pointing out as uh, in The Invisibles, but it's, uh, it's similar. So I'm going to read from it and uh, see what you think. When you don't have to change things, you become free. For you move through the etheric of the world without disturbing it. In one way, it makes you invisible. Imagine your life in these terms. You are a warrior. You have to scale the walls of an enemy castle at night without disturbing anyone. On the battlements, roost a roost flock of geese. The slightest error of sound, the minutest disturbance, a pebble tumbling into the rocks below, a cough, and you are dead. How will you do it? You have to be very confident about your abilities and very aware of your surroundings. You would have to take time to scope out the castle in minute detail. You would have to adapt to the circumstances by wearing dark clothes. You would have to check and double check all the resources available to you. Your equipment, the nooks and crannies, the phases of the moon, cloud density, any covering noise that would assist you, like say a thunderstorm. And you would have to make sure before you set out that your timing was right to ensure that your assault was not made on the night when they doubled the guard. But most of all, you would have to think in terms of moving in silently and moving out again, touching nothing, disturbing nothing. This is the energy of the warrior sage. Try this etheric exercise. Go to a crowded place, like a shopping mall on a Saturday, which I mean at the minute we can't, but you, you get, you'll get the idea. 
Centre your concentration completely within your five senses. Let nothing distract you. Walk in silence, eyes cast down, looking a yard or two in front of you, attempting to walk through the mall and back again, and back again, touching no one, looking at no one and disturbing nothing. Use your senses to tell you where the people are and avoid interaction. In fact, maybe you could do this very well with a social distancing uh, element. As you can't look up, you will have to be acutely aware of what is coming towards you, but also you will have to be aware of what is to your side and behind you. If someone talks to you, ignore them. Once you've completed the exercise successfully, you go back the next Saturday and attempt, and attempt the advanced course, which is to traverse the mall and back again with no one seeing you. You might consider it impossible just walking through the mall. Someone is bound to see you. That's not so. Their eyes may look in your direction, but if your energy is centered within you and your thoughts and feelings tightly collected inside you, the composite of your body, thoughts and emotions do not register on the attention of the passerbys. How many times have you walked into a mall looking for a store and walked right past it? If you can miss a store, you can easily miss a crafty warrior sage who is deliberately trying to hide from you. Now, if one is serious about not being seen, then one would wear grey, preferably dark grey. It's not a colour that projects much energy so people don't notice it. Have you ever wondered why the fairy secret services of the world use grey cars? The fact is, if you buy a red car, everyone goes out of the way to hit you. If you buy a grey car, you can melt into the background. So there you are in the mall wearing grey clothes and you would choose a pair of soft shoes that don't clank as you walk. And you move through the mall, maintain a steady pace for if you alter your step, people notice the change of rhythm. Your line of sight should be set first horizontally out in front of you, then drop down 10 or 15 degrees so that you are looking ahead but slightly downwards. This way you will be able to see if people notice you. Now here's the final trick. If you look at the passerbys, they in turn will notice you, for in looking you transfer a part of your etheric to them and they feel it. When you have to, what you have to do is allow reality in the mall to impact your sight without looking at it. Your sight perception has to be passive, not active. The ability to see without looking would be vital to you once you get into the etheric. For there, energy is moving so fast, you don't have time to engage your consciousness in looking. There you will have to allow the etheric reality to touch you. Finally, as you move through the, the mall in the warrior sage mode, you hold a consciousness of non-judgment, non-criticism so that none of your mind projects beyond uh, beyond you to the passerbys more than <laughs> but more than non judge oh my god but more than non-judgment well done Tommy you develop the feeling of not even having an opinion about anything that you see in the mall non-judgment is an active response for you're looking at another and say I will not judge that this changes your attention in this engages your attention in non-judging. By training your mind and not having opinions, you become passive and receptive. You remain centered deep within yourself. Your mind perceives things and does not react in the slightest. In a way, this attitude becomes an affirmation of your absolute acceptance of life. Once you are comfortable with accepting reality as it is, you can move uh, about without others seeing you. For the impact you make on the reality as you move is minimum. minimum. You step in the non-world between normal and normal reality and the etheric. You step beyond the perceptions of others to a world of your own. Any trick at customs, you might think, and you are right. The only problem at a border post is that if you're carrying contraband and you exhibit the slightest emotion, if you have an opinion about it, the customs officer will nab you. You may wind up in a slammer practicing your meditations in silence for quite some time. On the other hand, you may not. You may become very rich very quickly. Many years ago, I got a job as an advisor for a group of upmarket smugglers. Good men, true as they were, with very definite opinions as to their individuality. The Venezuelan government had an opinion in those times that a certain make of denim jeans should carry a 500% tariff. My employers, bless their little cotton socks, had a slightly different view. 
they felt that the indigenous population of those parts ought to be able to purchase the genes without getting stifled by the government. Stiffed even by the government. Stifled too. Now, you may say that my friends were morally wrong, but who's to say that the opinion of a Mickey Mouse government official is more valid than the opinion of a gentleman smuggler? It was not as if the money collected by the Venezuelan customs ever reached the people. My function for the group was to purchase the genes in London, a perfectly legitimate act, and to arrange for a shipment to Caracchio, a small island off the Venezuelan coast. From there, the product was shipped to the mainland by boat to be delivered into the hands of many a delighted customer a day or two later. I didn't stick at the job long enough to make a lot of money, but while in the group's employ, I learned the psychology of the trade and found the experiences valuable in my understanding of people and life. It helped me learn detachment and non-judgment. The wonderful thing about all the laws and all the world's insistent imposing on its people is that they allowed common folk a special creativity as they invent ingenious ways of getting round those laws. Their antics seem to me to be an exercise in the simplest forms of etheric invisibility. In my view, providing we're not hurting anyone, whatever your opinion is, is fine by me. I think it's best for one to develop a, creati creati <laughs> a creativity society approves of, but I can see the point of many disadvantaged people who, suffering from a lack of opportunity and education, drift into a more twilight existence. Who am I to judge that? Such a one was John. A man of about 50 who had struggled all his life to make ends meet doing worthless warehouse jobs in the east end of London. John scrimped and saved over 20 years and eventually bought a boat. He developed a small travel agency business offering con conducted scenic tours of the English Channel at night. His customers were gentlefolk from Pakistan who, desirous as to where and reached in England and having heard back in Rafalpanini, I'm sorry for my pronunciation as always, that Merry England was the place to be and were prepared to pay £1,500 for the benefit of John's safe and secure passage. John loaded his customers on the northern coast of France near Bologna and delivered them in robust good health at a small cove on the coast of Kent. After 18 months, John joined the middle class and bought a couple of small houses in Hillingdon. About that time, the local fuzz got wind. The fuzz is uh, English for police, by the way, in case you don't know. Got wind, uh, like Simon Pegg's The Fuzz film, so I'm sure you all do know got wind of John's tour and paid him a visit. The cops in England are still very gentlemen. They even call you sir when they stop you for speeding. The sergeant of the local constabulary took John for a drink in the pub just off the Port Bella Road. He explained to my mate that the cops knew of John's enterprise. But they couldn't prove it and John, after a few drinks, sort of admitted to his part in the affair. The sergeant, a kindly man who's not above a little commerce himself, told John that if he did not quit, the cops would arrest him on trumped-up charges that would ensure John's attentions at the Queen's pleasure for several years, but that if he quit, no more would be said of the matter. John, John's nautical days ended there and then. What I learned from all these exotic characters was priceless to me in metaphysical terms. First, I learned that once you don't judge or impose your morality on others, it sets you free emotionally. Secondly, I saw that in the nondescript lifestyle of these characters, there was an unusual freedom. Albeit their bent criminality was in the eyes of society not to be approved of, yet... When they're in, within their criminality was a goodness, a fervor, an affirmation perhaps to redress some of the inequalities of life. All of these characters had developed an invisibility stemming from society's alienation of them so they became detached. Not belonging allowed them a creative freedom that another, perhaps non-concerned about his social perhaps concerned about his social standing, involved as he might be in sustaining a position, does not possess. It seems to me that the warrior sage and the twilight people are not so very different. The detachment and secrecy of the criminal is motivated by his need to stay safe and to remain outside of society. The detachment of the warrior sage is exactly the same, the only difference being the criminal's alignment 
is negative, not wishing to be caught, and the warrior sage is positive, not wishing to be caught up in. I learned as a young man that there's a special fluidity in non-attachment, yet the whole of our education and programming brainwashes us into sustaining society. society. It forces us to remain within its clutch in order to sustain the status quo. It takes effort to push away from that and create the individual detached and free. Emotionally, we are constantly sucking into having to belong, yet it takes only a little effort of mental agility to begin to feel more secure in not belonging. Try this next time you hear two people discussing a problem. Let's say one is asking the other the way to the bus station. Don't butt in, even if you know the answer. Use the situation to train yourself to stay uninvolved. Now, if one of the two asks you, where's the bus station? Tell them. But if they don't ask, say nothing. What you're trying to learn is to become as become as little attached to events as possible. You're learning to stand on one side of the common reality. In becoming the silent observer, you gain a quickening, which is what this entire book is about. We teach our children to, in school to impress, to perform. Who knows where the bus station is? I do, I do. And 50 hands go up. And the mind of the child says, let me prove that I am clever, that I have worked, that I am brighter than the others. As the warrior sage, you're not going to mess with people to prove anything to anyone. You don't care if people think you are a complete idiot. In fact, you will generate that impression somewhat as a smokescreen for your true power. The Mr. Magoo image of the bumbling fool who somehow manages to step off the roof just as the construction girder swings into place is appropriate to the warrior sage. What time, Grant? In the secrecy and silence of your quest, you're looking to hide your power. People don't understand how you achieve the things you do. With the smokescreen, you reduce the threat to others. Your power, once consolidated, will frighten people. They will never be sure of how much you know about them, and the more you know, the more often you will say nothing. You will constantly manoeuvre your troops in the high ground. There your energy rests, silent and unassailable. If you are coming into power, avoid the pitfall of talking about it or having, the people, or having people endorse or acknowledge it. This is a common weakness. It exposes you, dissipates the power, and leaves you uncertain of whether or not the power you feel is actually real. For example, many females nowadays have completed the process started some years ago of getting their power back from males in their lives. This is a good move, and just in time. If they don't take the power back, like right now, the next 10 years will be a rocky path. This was written in the 80s, incidentally. But if a woman becomes overly aggressive, the baby goes out with the bathwater. The male retreats and she loses a friend and possible helper. Because people are weak, they always react to overt shows of strength. One doesn't want to generate the negativity, especially when one is trying to get things done in a hurry. The warrior sage, while not responding emotionally to the reactions of others, is, at the same time, the consummate diplomat. He knows what people want to hear when he throws candies from the back of the truck to keep them happy. To achieve great things, one needs the support of others. The diplomat listens to the needs of others, some of which are ex expressed covertly, and then provides as best he can what the people want, when they want it, with the minimum of effort on his part. One has to learn to be crafty. But crafty I don't mean sneaky or dishonest. It's more the craft of humanhood. Understanding the world so totally and understanding the world so totally and reading mechanical man so completely that one knows what people want before they know what they want. One knows what people want before they know what they want. It's only a matter of looking for the signs. I remember walking in a dense wood as a child in England with my father. After we walked about an hour, I had no clue where we were. My father asked me, which way is not? It's a cloudy day. I looked up to the sun and got no help. I did not know. My father pointed to one direction and said, this is not. He explained that the rain and moisture in England is blown over the Atlantic and arrives on the west. The moss in the tree is always on the wet side or to the west of the tree. Knowing where the west is, north is but a deduction. I remember thinking how clever that was. Life is full of moss on the wet side if you look for it. 
that may not, may or not be true, incidentally. So don't be uh, going by uh, moss and trees. A part of your craftiness is silence and secrecy. Again, by keeping silent, you are not being covert. You're just being quiet. There's a tremendous difference between lying and not answering people's questions or inquiries too specifically. In the late 60s and early 70s, we were taught to share our feelings. The Gestalt therapy was all the rage. You remember the stuff. I'm okay. You're okay. And thank you for sharing it. We were taught the benefits of putting it out there and communicating to our nearest and dearest every little twang of the heart chakra. I'm not against communication, for it allows us to live in the truth while relating to others. It's also very helpful on your climb up the energy ladder from confusion to consolidation. However, once you have it together, there are many parts of your life that you will never talk about. You will deal with individuals on a need-to-know basis. Besides the need to hide your power, there's another good reason for keeping your methods to yourself. Have you ever wondered why the European occult brotherhoods always had a secrecy as a pivotal point of their philosophy? There were several reasons. First, in the olden days, the Christians tried to manoeuvre themselves into monopoly over magical practices. The Roman Catholic Mass is a prime example. As they struggled for supremacy over the minds of people, they naturally outlawed the competition. Anyone chipping away at the monopoly was persecuted, giving a hard time and or killed. The negativity of the more wacko Christian cults is still prevalent today. It is a body of psychic antagonism 2,000 years old, which assails anyone who doesn't accept their principles. I don't mean to imply that all Christian sects are similar. There are many, in fact, that are holy and good and serve an honourable function. But there are as many which sustain a tribal neurosis antagonism to an individual's freedom. That neurosis is part of the collective unconscious and can be harmful to you. Silence, non-combative attitude and a smokescreen are your key. Further, on an energy level, silence allows you to make use of a psychic tension. As you conceive an idea in your mind, its strength lies in the correlation between the amount of concentration you have given the thought, the level of motion you have exerted around it, either positive or negative, and the way you feel about the thought, that is, whether you consider it to be a fantasy, a daydream, or a reality. There are other factors which empower your thoughts, but for the moment, centre on the fact that each thought is contained in a, cas in a casing of electromagnetic power. Imagine it as a molecule containing your special thought. The tension in that molecule builds up as you centre on the thought and empower it. The thought is stored in your memory, and it begins to lose power if you do not concentrate on it from time to time. It also loses power if you harass it. You can over-concentrate on something. As the fatality of the thought builds and begins to swamp your entire being, your whole energy changes and you begin to pull correspondences from reality, events which match the thought, which have the same feeling of correspondence within them. If you break silence and talk about your thoughts, you release the psychic tension in the molecule. By living through the idea in your words, you engage your feelings. So your mind, which does not differ differentiate between fantasy and reality, is actually living and breathing the event while you talk. Once the event is lived, most of its psychic tension is released. This is why when you feel this is why when you feel uncomfortable or experience fear, it helps to discuss it with another. As you develop power and start to use your mind to deliver life to you, a dramatic change takes place. Instead of you waking into daily life and haphazardly experience whatever is there, reality comes and gets you. You bend space and time, pulling you to the reality you require. You will not want to dissipate what may amount to months of efforts in one silly conversation. Keeping the most important things to yourself allows you to work in them without distraction. The other reason for secrecy and silence is that in silence, there is a mystery. I talked about this at length in Affirmations, which is the previous book. Now I'll simply say that mystery grants additional impact and power. The reality you have taken within you becomes more real. Others project into that reality. First of all, they cannot destroy what is there because they are ignorant of it. Secondly, they grant you a power that perhaps you do not as yet have.
It helps you. By keeping the world guessing, you are always one step out ahead of the programme and people find it difficult to put their finger on who you are and what you are. Therefore, you, they can't stick you in a box. And therefore, you become invisible. I love Stuart Wilde when he's in this kind of mode. He has uh, some great things to say when he's... Um, when he has the magician hat on, which of course he wouldn't call himself a magician, but he certainly is. Um, that book is great, as is The Force and as is Infinite Self. Um, his later books have their own charm in a, in a very doom-porn way. But uh, good people of the internet, I hope that helps you in becoming invisible. It certainly has helped me in becoming invisible. And um, may you uh, have a great day. May your life be wonderful and uh, may our best days be ahead. Be well. Hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Woo Woo. And in this episode I want to talk about the notion of maybe not being too greedy with your magical desires. And by this, I do not mean some sort of moralistic, you know, don't look for all the things you want because it's, you know, it's more pure to do without, or that kind of puritanical kind of view that we sometimes have, particularly if you've come from certain different sects of Christianity growing up, you will have this guilt that's involved with uh, well, I have anyway with the kind of Catholic thing of that if you get something, you know, you want, you're in some way a bad person or something. It's very kind of strange. I'm not talking about that. What I'm actually more talking about is the idea of that when you're coming up with a magical desire or wish or target, to not shoot immediately to the moon. And as Grant Morrison says in his wonderful Disinfo lecture, he talks about like, we may all want to be king of the moon, but uh, it's probably not a great sigil target is the example he's giving in that. So it's funny when you come to magic, when people first come to magic, one of the very first things, if, it, if they're coming from a kind of a, um, a money background, if they want to like to, to come into magic because they have money problems, is the first thing to try to do is win the lottery and not just kind of have a small lottery win, but the jackpot kind of lottery win. And I can understand that, but I mean, I, it would kind of, if you come to a, a niche or a group or a, a, you know, a, a way of thinking or an approach where not everyone has won the lottery, I can't understand why you would suddenly think that you coming in are going to be the first person who's going to do it. But conversely, it also is that kind of question, well, if magic works, why doesn't it work? Why can't I win the lottery? And indeed, someone has to win the lottery. But the chances of you winning the lottery are, you know, astronomical, massive. And even if we see magic as... Um, you know, probability enhancement, which I'm not sure because it's unfalsifiable. But if we do see that as um, probability enhancement, then doing magic for the lottery win does increase your chances of winning the lottery. It's just still astronomical that you will do so. So my kind of suggestion to you and something I have found very, very helpful is that rather than coming in and if you uh, have money issues or whatever it is, but we'll take the example of money issues because it's something that's very, uh, comes up for people a lot. Rather than going straight to the financial freedom or this time next year we'll be millionaires, <laughs> you know, the whole Del Boy situation or, you know, winning the lottery. Do something that's that's better than where you are. Like to chunk it down smaller, do smaller targets. And that's not the kind of to dismiss magic and its power. But we have to kind of think of that maybe we're not in the situation that it's that power, that we're that powerful or jump from here to there. It's too big to do in one go. And you can become then very, I suppose, disillusioned or a bit depressed around magic or just, you know, kind of lose interest in it. If you try to do these massive chunks, these really big, big things where let's do magic. 
I'm broke, I can't pay my rent, the electricity is about to go off, I've no food in the fridge, let's do magic to win a million dollars. When you should know, well let's do magic to get some food in your fridge, or let's do magic to get the elect electricity back on, and start from there. So that's what I mean by greed. And I suppose another example would be to, around like say, because now I've, I've got uh, something going on with my eyes, some sort of light sensitivity or something that seems to be... Uh, it's coming in and out, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But so rather than doing a sigil saying that's in this situation for perfect eyesight, you know, of 2020 vision and all this type of thing, go for improved eyesight. Less, less sun sensitivity in my eyes and then go from there. Now that's kind of, you know, you probably could in that example go for, you know, a, a more, because it's not a huge jump. But if you have uh, been wearing glasses for 40 years and, you know, they're getting, you know, exponentially thicker and thicker and thicker, your eyesight's getting worse and worse. Um, you're probably in a better place to go, well, I will go down a few grades, I'm not sure how glasses work, uh, uh, as, a, as a target rather than my eyes are completely 100% healthy, 20-20 vision, I can see, see just like an eagle. So if you can chunk it down into smaller manageable bits. It could be a case of that you just don't believe enough that you can win the million, if we believe that belief is the agency of magic, and it seems to be in the most part, but they're, they're like, they're, it's more complicated than that, there's a lot more things kind of interfering with us or connected to us or, you know, influencing us. Um, it could be just that's the case that you come from, a, a kind of say, in our million dollars lottery win, a poverty mindset and you don't really believe that you can win the lottery thing. Or, or if you want to come from the kind of reality transurfing element of it is, where you are in the quantum line of probability is so far away from the probability of a million dollars that to jump from there to there is, you know, it's a, it's a huge improbability. But you can jump from here to here. And that's, you know, so you can move towards your bigger goal in smaller steps rather than trying this kind of bigger, bigger massive jump from pauper to millionaire. So what I would suggest to you is to look at your goals, look at what you're trying to achieve and see if it's a bit too high in the sky or it's a bit too far. Is it too much of a jump? For a millionaire to manifest another million dollars is quite easy because it's not that big of a deal. But for someone with no money to manifest a million dollars is probably a big deal. And even from a very mundane sense, you wouldn't set up a business with immediately going, I'm going to earn a million dollars on day one. You know, you'd set it up in a different way and over time you would eventually get to your, you know, your, your plan, your business plan, your battle goals, all of these things. So look at what you're trying to achieve and see if you can break them down into smaller, more manageable goals. Even like three or four or five, something like that. If you've like um, a diet goal, then rather than going to your target, you know, your, your final target number that you want, you know, aim a bit somewhere between it and then somewhere between it again. Because, I mean, these are, as Gordon White points out, this is all free. We can do this whenever we want. So why not have do more of them rather than I am my perfect weight sigil and then six months later, you're not your perfect weight. But at least if you had a sigil for, you know, I've lost five pound and then another one for I've lost 10 pound or whatever it is you're getting a more kind of chunked down, less greedy, if you want. It's not the best word, but it's, it's, you can understand why I use it, approach to magic. So don't, don't dismiss the fact that you can become king of the moon, if you want, but kind of align yourself closer and closer and closer to that bigger goal by using smaller, chunked down, less greedy magic. Less kind of instant, I want it all now. You know, um, I want it now. All that <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory stuff. Don't do that. Uh, do small things. Anyway, 
I've started singing, so that's definitely a cue for me to uh, finish this video. So good people of the internet, until our next adventure, be well, do great magic, um, have a wonderful day, enjoy the sun, even if your eyes are becoming a bit sensitive to, to the sun. Perhaps there is a shift, just like there's a shift in the Schumann resonance at the minute, perhaps there's a change, a change in the, how the sun uh, or light the, is uh, manifesting in this new world. Anyway, good people of the internet, until our next time job, be well and may our best days be ahead. And hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Woo Woo. This episode, I just want to have a bit of a chat about the whole idea of pendulums in the reality transurfing sense of the word, rather than the swingy things. Um, and how feeding a pendulum gives it energy as much as, you know, actually just blatantly giving it energy. Um, recently, um, I've been having an awful lot of no fun with kind of conspiracy and I've just been trying to uh, remove as much from my life as possible because it's just, it's no fun. It's very, well, conspiracy used to be kind of about expanding your mind and an expansive look at the world and seeing things from a different angle and all that. It's become very contractive. Uh, contracted, very fear-based, very controlling, and uh, you know uses the same tactics as that which was it was trying to ex uh, you know to, to escape from. So it's under the kind of impression, a very Abrahamic, Judeo-Christian kind of thing that uh, you know the bad men are out to get us. You know that Satan's going to come and get us, the archons are going to come and get us, and that they're going to control us. And there's this kind of fight between light and dark. It's all you know we're always heading into the war or to the end times, and it's all it's a very kind of Christian, I suppose, if you want, or well, Abrahamic um, worldview. And when you get to things like the end of flat earth, when you ultimately get to what the conclusion is, it's God uh, and that there's people trying to keep us away from God. That's the whole point of this flat earth. And so there's this kind of, there's a thing that happened recently as well. And it was like a friend of mine on Facebook had put up a post that was all about berating people because we were being played as this, because from his point of view, this pandemic isn't a pandemic. It's the archons, not even the government, because it was one step above that, that it was the people who were controlling the government. The government are merely puppets. Um, how they um, was berating people for saying we're being played and for believing in this pandemic. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of when you see people doing like that, it's just, I don't quite get the reason of it, because they're definitely not trying to help people, I don't think. What it seems to be is they're trying to, elevate themselves to be the person who when it all is over can look back and go, well I didn't get fooled by any of this I knew all of this look I've been saying it but still have no action plan on how to do anything you know not actually have any ideas of their own how to uh, you know if we are being played how do we stop being played other than it seems posting on social media and on Facebook about it which is you know this is the the you know this is the place this is the residence this is the home of these archons created by archons if we were to believe all of these things but the thing that really stuck out for me on it was the fact that the words that was being used, uh, you know, sentences, the ideas, the themes, the whole kind of gist of the paragraph of, again, berating people for listening and believing what they see on telly was lifted wholesale from a YouTube video from someone, you know, from someone else. So berating people for listening to the man on the telly and believing them by parroting a different man on a different telly. And I just went, well, there you go. It's the same pendulum. It's the same reality tunnel, feeding it and attacking it. It's all the same because it's all adding to this kind of narrative, this greater narrative that while conspiracies are trying to kind of 
conspiracy theorists are trying to would say that they're trying to remove it. It's all you can see it that it's one big idea that everyone is getting involved in <laughs> and adding to it. Kind of I suppose it's similar to something like the war on drugs which being that it's war and it's this kind of thing and why it doesn't work I suppose is because it's designed in a sense to sustain it rather than end it because if you're going to end it you could just probably end it you know it's it's that this constant war and seeing it as a battle which we're seeing now this is a battle and we're talking in kind of wartime kind of um nomenclature you know that that kind of it's, it's an odd thing but when i seen that and then i seen various other things as well but that was kind of the final final straw is just seeing that that entire thing from both sides is the one pendulum it's the one reality tunnel it's the same idea from both sides it's the same coin flipped and it all seems to be for the most part not always but for the most part based in this um christian judaic abrahamic kind of worldview that the world is about to end because we're shitty people daddy's angry with us and there's a an evil man coming to get us the, the you know the the boogeyman's coming to get us or satan or lucifer or whatever and we have this kind of as people, as magicians, you know, it's our job as artists, as creatives, to dream better worlds, to look to the, you know, to the future and create better lives, better vistas, better scenarios, better worlds, better ideas, better universes than what we have. And we're so obsessed at the minute and just being blinkered into the only seeing doom porn and negativity and, you know, the world ending and the apocalypse. And all these, it's just like we need better ideas than all that because it's the same idea over and over and over again. Like from when I first got involved in self-help, Stuart Wilde was going on about the exact same ideas. Word for word, lines from Stuart Wilde book could be lifted from any contemporary magic book that deals in the doom porn kind of stuff. Uh, like you would not be able to, to, to uh, distinguish a paragraph. The same, the world is about to end kind of thing. We're in the end times. You know, you better be prepared because this is it, this is it. And I guarantee you, if you go back 50 years, the, you know, the, it'll be the same thing. Go back 200 years, go back 2,000 years when they thought that Jesus was coming back any moment now and that the apocalypse and that kind of resurrection after the resurrection was a thing that was going to happen in the lifetime of the apostles. And then I'm sure behind all that. And within that is a kind of a terrible idea is because we don't cherish life then. We were here because it's a punishment. It's a thing that's about to end. It's a thing that's continually getting worse. We keep telling ourselves how terrible it is and how awful it is. It's like, why, why wouldn't we want to get out of here? Why would we want to hang around when we, cops, you know, we keep saying these things to ourselves? Why would we care about the environment when we think this is kind of a jail? It's about to end and, you know, it's the, the home of, you know, the bad guy and the archons, it's control and it's a jail and all of these things we tell ourselves, no matter where you are on the side of this, it's all, it all seems the same to me. So I don't know, I've no ultimate point. I, I'm, I'm as bad as the person who's kind of saying you're all being played and that I don't have a definitive plan other than realising, I suppose, in a sense that it is this kind of worldview, that it's the same thing, it's the same pattern over and over again from both sides to remove yourself and I can't wait to get back to a forest and get in touch with actual nature and trees and the old gods and, you know, the, the thoughts that are be before all of these things and see if there's a better idea that can be, you know, taken from the ancients, taken from before and go into the future 
leaving all this behind. And in a sense, the pendulum, one way of ignoring the pendulum or trying to remove yourself from a pendulum is ignoring it. And of course, what would happen if you tried to ignore the pendulum of coronavirus, pandemics, new world orders, um, whatever, all of those things. You'll be told you're a bad person. You're told you have to take these seriously. And if you're not taking these seriously, these ideas, these kind of nightmare scenarios, then you're not a good person and you know, you're selfish or whatever. That's, that's a prime pendulum move on uh, how not to remove yourself or how, how to try to not let you remove yourself. Or the, the other thing that both sides attack, remember, or both sides of the conspiracy mainstream, whatever that dichotomy is, is that you know, you're stupid if you don't believe what I'm saying. It's an attack on your intelligence. It's saying that unless you believe what I believe, you're an idiot, both sides. So ignore them all. Now, that's not to say you can't help people around you and you can't have concerns with people around you, you can't follow whatever it is. But ignore all the bullshit, ignore that pendulum, drop the importance and come up with better dreams, come up as better creativity, better art, look to the future without concentrating on all the stuff that can go wrong. Let's say, well, let's put these big brains of ours and our imagination and our the imaginal and our creativity into seeing, well, how could we make you know, it wonderful here. What could we do? Why do we always focus on the terribleness? What if we put all our brain power into seeing how great and wonderful it is and leave behind this kind of thing that we're in a jail or we're being punished or that we've been thrown out of the real true garden heaven and someday we'll be allowed the promised land. Be that a return to heaven or, you know, get on our ship to Mars, the new promised land or whatever it is and just go like, we have <laughs> the possibility make something wonderful here if we stop talking shit to ourselves and putting ourselves down and just seeing the worst possible outcome and the worst in humanity all the time that's very ranty <laughs> I'm sure uh, it's I don't know what I'm sure about it but I just kind of feel frustrated and, and ranty about the same things and the same ideas and knowing that we're better than this and that we could make a better future for ourselves if we just stop focusing on all the bullshit and the pendulums and adding to them and all of this. Anyway, I said all I can say uh, today. <laughs> Hopefully tomorrow I'm in a better place and it's a bit more funny. I'll try and do a funny one tomorrow to balance it all up. So good people of the internet, may our best days be ahead. May we look forward to the future with rose-tinted glasses that we then create this perfect future. And well, it'll be trouble along the way. There's always trouble, but... You know, we'll get there if we want to get there, but we have to decide we want to get there. We have to dream better dreams, bigger dreams, more positive, more expansive, less contraction, more love. Jeez, I'm turning into a hippie. So <laughs> I'll leave it there. Good people of the internet. Be well. And hello, good people of the internet. It is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Woo Woo. And I'm going to do another one of those uh, magical item videos that I've stolen from Julian Vane because he asked me to be on it. And I thought it was a good idea. So in the last one, I talked about the Protector coin, which was uh, made by the Brazilian publishers when they, when they released and published the Brazilian Portuguese version of the Forty Servants Grimoire. But for this one, this is probably not going to work too well for the audio-only people, but uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, I'm not sure how this is going to come out even on the video. 
because uh, of the way it focuses. But this is my wand. This is a wand that I have, I would say, definitely 20 years. Yeah, pretty much bang on 20 years. And I got it when I went to Glastonbury. Glastonbury is probably most well known around the world for uh, the music festival, but the actual town is about 20 miles away or so, I believe, from the field that the festival goes on in. And Glastonbury itself is very, very woo-woo, woo-woo itself. Like the every second book, uh, every second shop is a bookshop, you know, like a new age bookshop. Everywhere had, uh, when I was there, I'm not sure what it's like, 20 years since I was there, so I'm sure it could be quite different. But um, it's all geared around kind of, the, I don't know, woo-woo-ness, I suppose. And like they had all vegetarian food and vegan food and all that long before that was available anywhere else that I had ever been. Anyway, particularly in Ireland, it was definitely not available. So um, it has the whole kind of, it has the tour there. It has a lovely market. It has a great kind of uh, local town hall where um, talks were on. And when I was there, incidentally, I just happened to be there for the Goddess Festival. I was there with an ex-girlfriend and her mum, who was one of the Druids here in Ireland. And uh, just so happened to be uh, Stuart Wilde was doing a talk <laughs> on the same weekend. It wasn't planned, wasn't anything. Um, I just got so excited when I got to, got to Glassbury and I seen that. And it also came out, it was the same time that his book, The Sixth Sense, came out. The same, so it was all greatness. And uh, so I went and finally got to see uh, Stuart Wilde in the flesh. And I've talked about that before on podcasts and stuff. So if you want to check that out, I'll leave the link in the show description. But he actually mentions that whole night in one of his tape series as well. But getting back to my wand... Now, I'm not a huge wand guy, but this is one of the things that I've kept and really treasure. Um, I went down, to, the first day we went down to the market and I was going to do some busking. Um, and I had, was stopped from doing the busking because it was basically saying, if you're going to do the busking, you have to pay for you know the, an allotment in the area because it's not fair on other traders. And I was just going to ask too much hassle. But I ended up getting talking to these guys and there was a, they were selling wands. And I had picked up this wand. And I was looking at it and I uh, didn't get it for some reason. Um, I'm not sure what it was. It's definitely some sort of financial reason. I don't know if I just had money with me or I didn't think I, I had enough money to cover for the weekend or the t- I was actually there for 10 days or what. But there's some reason why I didn't get it that I, in my head it was, it was a financial reason. Um, uh, so I, you know, put it back. But uh, that was it. I just thought that's the end of it. That's a pity now because that was a nice wand. I don't think it was tremendously expensive. I don't really know exactly why I didn't get it. Um, but anyway, then a couple of hours later, Though um, my uh, my girlfriend's mum had uh, come back and ha- handed the wand to me and said, oh, we got talking to the guys who are uh, uh, selling wands down at the, the market and uh, we were telling them about, uh, the, you know, you and the music and you were doing it and all this time and they give me this wand to give to you. Um, didn't know it was a, they didn't know that it was me who had been talking to them earlier or anything. It was just two separate um, interactions, two separate relations or two separate incidences. So I ended up getting the wand anyway, but through a different kind of means, which is very weird and very odd. And I t- took it as a sign. A um, couple of years ago, it was green at the bottom of green hill, which doesn't matter because this isn't black and white, but it was this kind of uh, material bit was green and the actual wood was all uh, just normal wood. And I got it into my head to paint it black. Um, and I'm so glad I did. Sometimes when you do things like that, it kind of ruins it. But this made it um, way more magical for me. And it's, it's felt this is now its final form, whereas up until then it wasn't even its final form. And uh, it's not something I use, uh, and I've never really used it as a magical instrument, but it's, it's definitely totemic or it has, you know, that kind of feel. I'm glad I have it. It feels magical. It feels part of me. It probably is something that I should kind of maybe experiment a bit more with. It just not, it feels a bit hokey or a bit too kind of, even a bit too woo-woo for me to use it as an actual magical wand. I don't even really, 
Well, I do know. I was going to say, I don't really know how magic wands are, are used, but I do know, like, say, you can use it as instead of your pointing fingers in a banishment ritual, or you can, you know, trace things in the air and all this. De uh, designate boundaries, you know, you can have a, like an astral circle around you and stuff. I don't know. But uh, I just find it interesting. I've never wanted another wand, or I never got into a collection of wands or any of that thing after. But one of those things that reminds me of a very awesome time in my life, um, a particular period where I got to meet my, like, absolute spiritual idol Stuart Wilde who uh, stole loads of my cigarettes and was very drunk I was, I was all he's still the most impressive spiritual energy whatever of a person I've ever met in my life um, and it got kind of um, immortalised in one of his recordings which is equally cool I didn't know that until years later and uh, yeah and I got a wand out of true kind of I don't know odd circumstances or true a coincidence or synchronicity or a, a different avenue the same one. It would have been weird had it like just got a one, but the, the exact same one that I picked up earlier in the day. Interesting. Anyway, that's another of my magical items. I will again put the link to Julian Vane's website, who's doing the My Magical Thing series on his um, YouTube channel. And it's very interesting. He's got some really cool people showing very cool things. So um, I'll probably do another couple of these until I run out of interesting magical uh, items, and I'll just be just showing you books by the end of it. Just oh, this is a book I got. Um, which is not quite the same. Although I have been collecting recently or starting a new collection of CDs, like, you know, who buys CDs? But as uh, magical items, as totems, not to play them, whatever, but has, as, um, you know, talismans or talismans or um, totems. It's, it's the best word I can come up with. So that, I find that interesting. And um, I suppose I have done that in the past with uh, books and stuff as well. But anyway, good people of the internet, I'd be very interested to hear about your magical items or what you find magical, or any kind of sinks or uh, interesting stories that happened to you and how you obtained said magical items, be they CDs, books, magic wands, or anything. I mean, anything can be a magical item. It's, it's the kind of significance that you put on it that makes it magical. So I will talk to you all tomorrow. Be well, and may our best days be ahead. Hello good people of the internet, it is I, Tommy Kelly, and this is Adventures in Wubu. And in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about these glasses. So over the last while, as I have mentioned a few times on uh, the podcast, the videos, the vlogs, there has been a weird thing going on with my eyes, but my eyes seem to have got quite light sensitive. And uh, it's about a week ago, I ordered these glasses, which are the blue light, anti-glare, all of those things. Um, and I just got them today. Now, over the course of the week, my eyes have got a lot better, particularly yesterday, where the actual strain kind of element of the light seems to have um, subsided to a, to a large extent. I did get talking to an optician. They're not doing eye tests at the minute because of the pandemic. So uh, he says, unless it's like an emergency, like you're just not going to get an eye test. So he just recommended that I put hot flannel over my face a couple of times a day because if I'm getting light sensitive, he says, well, it is an awful lot brighter over the last week, so that has to be taken into thing. But this is a, also your tears mightn't be tearing properly, and this will encourage your tears. So once I started doing that, it all seemed grand. But uh, I got these glasses anyway, um, and they arrived today. And immediately, though, I have to say, I keep touching them because I'm not used to them, um, I can notice a difference. There's an awful lot of kind of uh, people say, you know, they're great, these glasses. Other people say it's total nonsense. Um, even this kind of science seems a bit odd about it in that you can, you know, you can certainly find studies that say it has an impact and you can certainly find studies that say it doesn't have an impact. Um, 
But the anecdotal evidence uh, that I proposed on Facebook asking people about it, and anecdotally people are, by and large, um, favour them, think they're good and helpful. So uh, there is a slight kind of, you won't be able to see this obviously in the black and white video, but there's a very slight um, colour to them. And uh, I assume it's yellow, but it does look kind of blue, uh, which would, you know, you don't want to increase the blue, but I saw I assume it's yellow. And maybe even that is enough to um, bring down the intensity of the light of um, screens and stuff. It's odd, the kind of sensation I'm having with my eyes, is that it's not that everything is kind of blurry or that everything is, you know, out of focus or anything like that. It's that everything seems to be an awful lot more in focus, an awful lot sharper. It's as if my eyesight has suddenly massively improved and my eyes just don't know what to do. It's like a, there's now more light coming in or something. Like when I'm, I'm reading a page of a book, the white of the, the book seems quite shiny more than it normally would. Not so much anymore, but that's what that was kind of going on. So maybe my uh, eyesight has massively improved rather than got uh, worse. But uh, we'll see. I kind of like them. It does change me, uh, my appearance. The other thing I got is these uh, tablets. They're, uh, let me see. Lutin misozantantin and setantin. <laughs> anyway, they're the highest rated vitamin tablets that you can get on Amazon to do with eye health. Again, possibly more woo, but I do know people who've been told by um, opticians, or at least claim they were told by opticians, to use these uh, type of tablets that it helps. Not necessarily would improve in your eyes, but could possibly slow down the know degeneration of your eyes so it's not going to hurt anyway so what i thought i would do is do this video just to kind of say about how i felt before it and then in 30 days do another video and see if i if i last even wearing the glasses and if I, the tablets made any difference to me not a scientific study in any kind of fashion not even attempting that pure anecdotal evidence based on my experience of sitting in front of a computer 10 hours a day and then sometimes you know, watching a bit of telly after that or re reading on like, you know, a device, which I've been trying to stop the, stop reading um, devices in bed, but it's uh, having the light on uh, beside me is uh, disturbing my wife. So perhaps I will not be able to uh, keep that up for much longer. Anyway, that's where I'm at. Not the most exciting of video possible today, but you know, not every day can be a winner, I suppose. Um, so yeah, good people of the internet. Uh, let me know what you think of the blue glasses. These also have anti-glare in it as well, which is an added bonus. It's not just the blue thing and the UV protection and other things that probably don't do anything. But I'm, I'm here for the woo, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so let me know if you have any kind of ideas for or against or even the vitamins or any other kind of tips or tricks you have around uh, eye health. Other than, obviously, go to the opticians, go to the doctor, which... Uh, I want to, but I just can't. So um, we'll talk to you tomorrow and may our best eyesight be ahead. Yeah.